Hey folks, welcome into Onto Waveland. It's Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma, Patrick Mooney on the road, seeing the sights, seeing the world. He'll be in uh, Washington this week for Cubs-Nats Redux. Uh, they played last week. It feels a million years ago, right? That was the first half of last week that they played the Nationals at Wrigley. We were, Sahadev and I were just talking before we started recording, like, you know, what we're going to get into in this episode. And it is wild how, if, if, for those of you who listen, you know, are devoted listeners and hang on every word, which of course is all of you, you'll note that it was not until the last one minute of the last episode that Mooney remembered, oh yeah, we haven't talked about Jason Hayward. <laughs> I mean, talk about huge news that ended up just getting uh, scuttled a bit by virtue of, you know, we had recorded earlier in the day that day and then the Field of Dreams game happened and we didn't record until Friday because of the game and just kind of threw everything off kilter and the guys that we still want to talk about, there's a lot that has spilled over. Unfortunately, some of them gave us hooks this weekend to talk about today, but one of those things I just want to mention right at the top is Fran Mil Reyes, the Cubs added I believe that same day, earlier in the day, uh, that the Hayward news came out. And so that, too, was something that we hadn't specifically discussed in the last episode, but that uh, merits, I think, especially in a season like this, player like that, you know, if the Yankees added Reyes, they're not, we're not having, you know, a huge chunk of a podcast dedicated to it. But the Cubs situation is such that that's a pretty significant move. That's about as big as a waiver claim can get. And uh, I think it merits some discussion as to why the Cubs did it, maybe even a a hint on why the Guardians did it, uh, why the Cubs did it, what it means for the future, and what we're looking for over the last month and a half for any of it to mean anything. So I guess let's just start there. Uh, Reyes hit his first home run this weekend with the Cubs, um, and he, this is not not to be taken literally, but Basically, every game he's played with the Cubs so far, five maybe, he has had the hardest hit ball in the game for the Cubs. Uh, I've checked, I've tried to check each game, exit velocity. I'm pretty sure he's been at the top every single game. Um, so, you know, you're, you're getting a taste of, of what he is and what he does. Uh, so let's, yeah, what's what's up with Reyes? What, what did the Cubs get there? What are they doing? Yeah, I mean, this is a guy who I was actually surprised to see how good he's been his entire career. I mean, he's he's young still. He's I think he did he just turn twenty seven or he just turned twenty eight. Uh, so so he's still young. He's put up thirty home runs, thirty plus home runs twice. Uh, he's always hit for power in the big leagues. He's with uh, now he's with two coaches that he has a history with and Johnny Washington and uh, Andy Green. Uh, I think there was something to what Andy Green said that I think is legit where, you know, the the whole like, oh, uh, uh, you know, a fresh start type thing can sound cliche. But in this instance, this was a guy who got off to a really rough start and was essentially like looking over his shoulder constantly once that rough start happened and, and it kind of mounted uh and he's he's there's so much pressure on him to get back because that he's on a team that is competing for the playoffs and really needs that power and really needs him to turn it around and i think he just dug himself into such a hole that it was a combo of developing some bad physical habits some 
probably mentally pushing himself too hard. All those things that happen. He to had baseball a hamstring players. injury like, mixed in there too, right? Right oh, smack in the middle. He missed about three weeks with a hamstring injury. So I, I totally missed the injury part too. So, I mean, he was dealing with something. I'm sure you know. There's so many little factors there, and he never found his rhythm. Uh, I I mean, it's a it's a smart pickup by the Cubs. It, it's one of those things where. You know, fans like to get frustrated by the lack of big spending, and it's absolutely valid to do that. But this is one of those moments where I'm guessing a lot of teams passed because they're like, we're not paying that one and a half million or whatever is is owed the rest of the year. Or was it one and a half, two and a half, whatever it was around there yeah, uh, the rest of the season? To add to that point, um, I think as for – because I think the question in these situations, when it's a waiver situation, it means – by default some team has this player and says we don't want him anymore so like how excited can you get if you're the team or the fan base picking this guy up and the reason it's a bit of a unique situation is for the guardians who are trying to balance always not spending a lot but still competing they're looking to the rest of this year and they're like you know reyes is not going to play a lot for us because we are we don't have time to give him the runway to bounce back. We need him to, we need our outfielders DH to be hitting right now because we're barely hanging in this race. So that's a factor. They know that if they put him on waivers, good chance he does get claimed and they save that just shy of 2 million this year. Uh, by, and that's a lot to them. That is a lot. And then moreover, if they know there's a decent chance they were not going to tender him in the off season, he's arbitration eligible again. He's going to get a raise into the six plus million range i think the the guardians aren't going to keep him they weren't going to keep him at that price level so for them it's a pretty easy decision to move him on and for the cubs it's a smart decision to you know take that 5 10 whatever percent chance that he does bounce back and you do want to tender him and then you get him for next year at six seven million and you're very happy with that and all it costs you in the interim is one and a half to two million dollars and that's something the cubs should be doing so to, to that's just to put a point on the financial aspect of this of why it made sense for the guardians to do it why it is still a plus for the cubs to do it yeah and i mean they ideally you know in a perfect world he'd be a lefty slugger right and and this would yes. be the just the perfect could play a, could play a position yeah and, and it would be like if he could play first and hit from the left side it would be the perfect addition for the Cubs, right? But he also probably wouldn't be available. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but the, there's no doubt that they could use more slug. Uh, they are they get on base. I mean, Jed made this point, and I and I've kind of been saying it all season long. Uh, they they get on base. This is a team that gets on base at a decent clip. I believe they're top ten and have been hovering around there for most of the season, if not a little bit better at times. Uh, depending on what type of streak they're on or, or stretch they are on performance-wise on offense. Uh, and if they could add that slug, I, I think it changes them from like a bottom 10 offensive team as far as run production to, uh, you know, pushing top 10, you know, borderline top 10 scoring team. And they just need more power. There's no doubt about it. I think one uh, storyline that kind of goes uh, uh, unnoticed is just how much the power has dropped with Ian Happ. As good as he's been this year, he's an average power producer, and that's just not who Ian Happ has been. So uh, 
you and and Ross was asked this, and I think it's a kind of a fair question. It's like, do you almost want him to go back to who he was? It's like, well, you don't want Ian Happ to go back to who he was because he was so inconsistent. But if he could be consistent with power production, maybe that would be more valuable. But I I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm overthinking things a bit there. But the power drop with him is something that I think is curious, and and we need to watch going forward. Uh, and and just his his performance in general obviously will be really interesting in 2023 uh, to see what uh, what these first four what are we at four and a half months now four and a half months of of baseball uh, like just how real it was and and what it what it means going forward. But Fran Meal is just if he can kind of solidify himself and they tender him this offseason that that's a nice pickup for them for not much money and just adds that power bat adds a clubhouse presence that's positive and and you know a guy that uh you know sounds like he instantly gets along with with his teammates and and brings a, a nice vibe to the clubhouse and you know vibes don't equal wins but but they're always nice to have so i i think it'd be it'll be interesting to see uh how he does going forward and what it can mean for the team uh in the off season because Power is going to be something they're still going to look for, whether Reyes, it, you know, performs or not. But it, it it kind of checks a box in a way, and it allows them to maybe do some different things and move some pieces around if need be. Uh, you know, if they want to be uh, aggressive in different ways. Uh, I think you know having Reyes there. I mean, it's it's interesting mm-hmm. because when I talk to people with the Cubs, a lot of what they say is. You know, midway through the season, there was talk of, you know, Patrick Wisdom has uh, has impressed us. You know, like Patrick Wisdom looks like he's a keeper. He's someone that can be a part of this team. But right now he's hitting like fourth or fifth and you want him to hit sixth or seventh. And they've started to do that now that they've added Reyes, right? Reyes, they I think, is someone that they believe can be a middle of the order hitter on a winning team. I mean, he has been. Right. So it, I, I think that they'd like to they'd like to see if that works and, and it lengthens the lineup, as they say. It, you know, if if you keep wisdom and you have Reyes there and you add another interesting bat and even find a lefty. I mean, it just it just makes things a lot, uh, a lot more flexible and allows them to get creative with some moves if they if they want to in the offseason. A parting thought on Reyes and then I want to say something on wisdom, uh, is with respect to Reyes, I, I read an interesting piece at Fangraphs from Dan Simborski about the uh, dejuiced, the more universally dejuiced baseballs this year and the universally implemented humidors. Uh, Reyes, apparently, the quality of his contact historically has been such that it was right in the sweet spot for where the reduction in distance uh, on batted balls hurts the most. Uh, and I'm not saying this cuts. I, I'm, it, it, is, it doesn't completely explain his drop in production with the Guardians, which if it did, that would almost make you concerned um, because it might be a suggestion that he just can't survive in the new environment. Uh, I don't think it's that. It is more of just a interesting note that for his, you know, a ball that he hit, it, I'm, I'm, I'm being glib about what the article was. You should read it, find it, read it. It's about on, it's on Reyes specifically, but the gist that I took away was you, he might hit the ball exactly the same way this year as he would hit it last year. And it travels 30 fewer feet. And for him, that means a whole lot less dingers. 
and because uh, that was sort of right his sweet spot and that's where all his value comes right yeah and and one thing i haven't yet again because of this, these two weeks have been crazy which is weird man after the trade deadline in august i did not expect it to be <laughs> very weird in the company, yes like that i couldn't dig into stuff but one thing i wanted to see was was Cleveland a location that didn't previously have a humidor and was one of the 15 that added it this year? I wanted to check on that. Uh, and Or maybe a disproportionate volume of AL Central ballparks did. Haven't checked. Uh, and then the second thing is Wrigley Field plays so uniquely for different types of hitters that are alley-to-alley hitters. I wanted to see if he's an alley-to-alley guy because then you might suspect some of those home runs could come back. Uh, because that's sort of the right distance. If you're an alley-to-alley guy at Wrigley Field, that plays very well. Um, or home run, to, alley-to-alley home run hitter plays very well. So uh, anyway, those are. I guess there, there's your um, what your tee up listener. Shoot, shoot me a shoot me a tweet. You want to look into that stuff for me? You want to do my job for me? Send me send me a tweet if you find uh, the info about Cleveland and about. Um, uh, how Reyes's power plays at Wrigley. I'm going to dig into it this week if you don't beat me to it. So anyway, the the comment I wanted to make on wisdom, I actually appreciated that transition very much, Sahadev, because that's another thing that happened these, these last week and a half that hasn't had a chance to be discussed much. And that is wisdom is the Cubs first baseman now. It's like, hello, that's a pretty significant change. We would have anticipated it coming. I think uh, we either did or would have discussed it pre-deadline um, as something the Cubs are going to need to find out information about before the offseason because some of the bat additions that they can make might implicate third base. You know, if the Cubs go out and add Xander Bogarts, for example, he might be the shortstop or they might leave Nico Horner at short at that, at that point and move and, and sort of try to persuade a guy like Bogarts, hey, you're, you're actually most impactful at third base. Um, it's, it's delicate because a lot of these guys are, seeking to get paid as top tier shortstops and whatever cross that bridge when you get to it point is it has the potential to impact patrick wisdom and you'd want to know okay can he how does he play at first base you know is he slightly above average defensively there and then okay and the bat sort of stabilized this year in that 115 weighted runs create a plus range maybe we live with that as as internally at first base depending on what else we can do and maybe it gives a little more time to evaluate Matt Mervis at first base or at triple a, um, you know, I just, I like the idea. I like the idea very much of seeing what it looks like to have him at first base almost on a daily basis, the rest of the way. Now that the Cubs are doing it in part because they want to give some of that third base time to Zach McKinstry and there's, and with Nick Madrigal back, you, it's like, where else, you know, where, where are you going to play him? I, so I get it. And now TH occupied by Reyes. Again, this is sort of how it has to be. But maybe for me, it's just a happy byproduct because I did want to see wisdom at first base and to know for sure, okay, cool. He can handle that just fine. Put that in the back of your mind and uh, proceed into the offseason knowing not that you have first base locked down, but that you have options in-house. Yeah, it's I mean, that's part of what I was saying is it gives them options to be creative that how do they want to proceed? It, it will be interesting, right? I think they're, they're going to take as much information as they can over the next month and a half, right? They, they won't ignore what happens over the next month and a half. So we can't I can't just say that this is what they should do or what I think they'll do, because I, I think there's going to be a lot of information that comes that will uh, 
that will heavily influence how they act because if Reyes is a keeper, right, you'd like to have that lefty bat, uh, power bat at first base, right? So does that mean moving wisdom? Uh, and again, I haven't heard anything like this. This is just I'm trying to figure out what what type of moves they could make, right? They seem to like McKinstry or at least be curious about what value he can provide. And obviously he's under control for a while. He's not going to be expensive. Uh, he can play all over the place. He's a lefty bat. They don't, they didn't have like a lefty bat infielder, right? So that, that that's really helpful for them to outside of Rivas. Uh, I'm saying someone that can play a beyond first base. Uh, they, they just haven't had that this season or a little while. Really, jo it, Jonathan VR was that guy. He was supposed to be that guy and he never didn't performed, right? He didn't perform and the defense just, he couldn't play on the left side. So McKinstry looks like I'd like to see more of McKinstry, but he looks solid defensively. If, if he can be that, uh, Joey Wendell type. I know the Cubs were interested in Joey Wendell before he was traded to uh, Miami. He went from Miami. Tampa Bay to Miami. Am I You're, remembering that? You got me curious now. While you talk, don't and, throw it to me. And because I, I'm, I'm, right. that immediately made me curious how he's done this year. Yeah, I think round league average, I believe, maybe a little bit better uh, offensively. But he's great defensively. And uh, I think McKinstry probably doesn't. I think Wendell probably has a little bit more power. Uh, I, I'm not a hundred percent sure on that, but McKinstry just, you know, looks right. like he can hit Couple, for average. Uh, yeah. I'm going to jump in. Yeah. Sorry. You can keep going on McKinstry, but I got to lay it out. Cause that was, that was quite a pull by you because Wendell also was a guy who did not, uh, get a real foothold in the big leagues until much later. He was already 27. Uh, and he had always succeeded in the upper levels of the minors. Very good defensively all over. Um, not a ton of power, but didn't strike out, didn't walk a lot, just kind of a good hitter, which is a lot of what McKinstry does. And uh, he has now, though, leveled off. He's 32 now, and he is slightly below average this year overall with the Marlins, uh, but still playing all over, good defensively, um, you know, a solid player to have, but, you know, not not alone, not a difference maker. Is he, but a guy is he hit that, from the left side, or is he switch? He is a... He's just a lefty. Lefty. Okay. Uh, so, so anyway, yeah. yeah, that's you. You'd love to if McKinstry could be that. You know, I don't want what the reason I'm interjecting too is I don't want listeners to get the idea that Sahadev is saying, in conjunction with the point about needing lefty power bats that like, oh well, and they've got McKinstry. He could be that middle of the order lefty, and that's not what no, he's saying. No, he's just no. saying it's good. Good player to have to coordinate all the rest of the stuff. He's almost like the lefty version of Chris Morrell, if you want to compare Like, those are the guys who could play off of each other, depending on, you know, that day's setup. Right. And, I mean, I think Ross believes there's a little more power in there. McKinstry kind of – I haven't seen it with him, and McKinstry – uh, essentially told me that he's like, if I run into one, uh, he's, like, he's like, I'll have a big smile on my face and be hustling around the bases, but that's not really how he views his game. Uh, so it, ultimately I'm just curious now with wisdom playing first, uh, what, what is the end game here? What, what's the plan for the corner infield spots uh, over the winter? I, I think it'll be really interesting because you have, these righty power guys in wisdom and Reyes who maybe aren't exactly similar, but you know, they have some similarities in their offensive style 
Wisdom obviously has more defensive value, but Reyes has more is younger and has more of a track record. Uh, Wisdom is also, I don't think, arb eligible for another year or two, so he's cheaper. Uh, it, it uh, but it, I mean, there's all sorts of different things here. I'm just curious, like what what can you what can you get for wisdom? Can you can you parlay that into like a prospect that and then uh, replenish prospect depth depth in a, in order to trade for a left-handed uh, hitting first baseman, uh, a guy that I keep looking at. Again, this is me uh, thinking forward and not really having any. Nobody with the Cubs has talked about this with me. Uh, but I do wonder if the Rays are ready to move on from someone like G-Man Choi. He's about to be arb eligible. He's strictly a platoon guy, right? But strong side of a platoon. Uh, is that a guy that makes sense for the Cubs uh, to go after in the offseason? Uh, I'm, I'm just trying to think. Of, I mean, we've talked so much about it. shortstop. I think both you and I agree that's that's the spot to spend uh, a lot Can of money Can I say on, it right? again? Since we're if we're going yeah. there, I have to say it every time because there will be people Go yelling. We're not saying that Nico Horner hasn't been successful. We're right. not saying like, oh, we're looking at the roster and saying, my God, this team needs a shortstop. It's it's that that's where the impact players are predominantly available this year that can be coordinated with what the Cubs already have to improve the overall roster significantly. And it's not a criticism of Nico Horner to say he has the flexibility to be very, very good defensively at second base, or he probably could handle third base if you needed it. It is not, and and we know he could handle the outfield if needed. Like, we're not that far removed, recall, from feeling like Horner's best value to the Cubs was as a guy who moved around. Like, that has tremendous value. You don't have to lock him into shortstop and say, sorry, not interested in Carlos Correa because we got Nico Horner. I, that just, I, I'm trying to be kind about it, but it's like every time I mention one of the shortstops, my ats just get full of people who are like, don't need it, have Nico. Why do you hate Nico? What's wrong with Nico? I'm like, no, I love Nico. Nico's been so good this year that it makes me even more want these guys because yeah. I'm like, see how good the Cubs can be in 2023? Yeah. I, I mean, I just oh, yeah. can't. That's going to be yeah. my new point. I just nailed it. I love when the, the podcast becomes a workshop for points. Uh, I'm going to use that one. I'm going to say it's because Nico was so good that it makes me even more want to add to the team for 2023. <laughs> Boom. Yes. <laughs> well, and it's foisted it, on their own petard. Uh, <laughs> I just think it. It makes so much sense in this way. You you look at a guy like Justin Steele or even Keegan Thompson or any of these pitchers, uh, all of them, Marcus Stroman, even the veterans. Uh, you you would make it. You create an elite defense behind them. It's multiple more wins. Even this season, they win more games with an elite infield defense. The defense has been much better lately. It's been helping them win. They. There's a couple things going on here. They benefit greatly from the way they position guys, right? They, they used to be able to – they didn't shift as much with Javi because he was just insane and he had this insane range and, and all this ability that they could they could get really creative. And now they've, they've shifted a bit more, and, and it's happening in a way that uh, – what uh, the result of that is Nico is – is looks great and he's he's legitimately a very good player uh, all around defensively offensively everything 
I don't think he's at the same level as someone like Carlos Correa or Trey Turner. I just, I don't think so. I, I think the arm is a step below. Uh, it's it's not. I I was wondering if the arm would be an issue. It's not an issue. I just don't think it's like plus 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 right. Uh, and and that's not the case with Turner or Correa. Uh, so if you get one of those guys, what you're doing is you're creating a shortstop second base combo that is the best in baseball. Uh, I mean, you're going to be hard pressed to find a better shortstop uh, second base combination. Then in 2024, what you have is Pete Armstrong in center field and you have the best up the middle defense in baseball. There, there's just not going to be a team that can compete with that. I know, you know, whatever Pete Armstrong turns into offensively. He's going to be an elite center field defender. I, I feel like once a week we're seeing these crazy plays that he makes. The other day there was a ball that I was like, oh, the left fielder is going to make a, make a play on that because that's who <laughs> was closer. And it was the center and it was Pete Crow Armstrong coming out of nowhere making an amazing catch. And, and he does this regularly, these insane catches in center field uh, that I don't think we've seen since Kenny Lofton with the Cubs, a, a defender like that. Yeah, the difference with, like, Albert Almora, because um, that's the comp people immediately think of, and hopefully PCA has done enough at the plate this year to to indicate they're not the same type of hitter. So right. it's, you just I wish you could wash that away. Defensively, Almora was fantastic in the minor leagues. He was great at the ball. You know, he would close well and make the catch and make the play, good reads, but he didn't have great speed. In fact, he had sometimes he looked like below average speed um pca is very fast and the reads off the bat are just slightly faster now Elmore was very good at it pca seems absurd at it some of these yeah. catches that sadev is talking about that look impossible off the bat they look impossible but he finds the spot immediately and he is sprinting balls out right to that spot it's it's really i mean he's lived up to the hype yeah, someone uh, who used to be in Cubs amateur scouting told me that some, a lesson they learned with, with Almora is that it, it's, it's hard to be considered an elite defender if you don't have plus speed. Uh, elite defender in center field, sorry. It's hard. Like they, They've now kind of shifted the way they look at it that, yeah, is he, is he a very good defender? Yes. Is he an elite defender in center field? Probably not. He's a step below. Like he, he never got to that elite level, and it was because the speed wasn't plus. Uh, and I think that really held him back in the off. Obviously, I mean, if he hit for any value, it, you know, you you live with the average defense in center field. But it, the offense, obviously, that's a whole nother story. The offense never came around. But <laughs> but I, my point the, is, did he, you see his comments when the Cubs and Reds played a few weeks ago? I, yes. It, and I mean. I'm not, I am not dancing on anybody's anything. I just, it is notable. I, th I think, I actually think there was a little bit in his comments that was fair. He did have a lot of different developmental approaches. Um, at the same time, there was some stuff in his comments that was like, but where it was just like, but dude, your game wasn't going to work. Like yeah. the, the reason they were trying to work with you to change things was because it wasn't going to work. And then he's like, and so finally I can be myself with the reds. And it's like, well, you're not hitting, dude. I mean, <laughs> just saying. He's, I mean, he is what he is, right? He relies on BABIP and he doesn't, he's not, he's not this type of games player, right? This game that we play in now, you need hard contact. You need the ball in the air. He doesn't, 
neither right he relies on if if his if he had that plus speed then his game may work a little bit better right he can put the ball on the ground and just book it to first and 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 live by babbitt but i mean his best offensive performances always came with babbitt luck and i remember that first half it was that first half of whatever season and people were like i told you if you just give albert elmore a <laughs> chance he'll hit and i was like oof this is not going to work like every single hit are bleeders through the infield like I should say one out of every three hits, right? Like once those bleeders through the infield start going and these little bloop singles like get caught, this is going to go south quickly. And it did because uh, or he needed to change who he was. And he there were times in I mean, we're going way <laughs> south here, but there were times in spring training where he uh, where he looked like he'd completely change his approach. But that's really hard to to really keep that consistent and 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 bring that into a season and, and stick with it unless uh and, and he just couldn't so i i don't want to rip the guy because good dude and worked hard but uh just didn't have the the offensive skill set that works in this type of environment anymore uh which is to say like Pico armstrong has made already made those types of adjustments he's changed his game uh, he's always been an elite performer. Similarly to Elmora, at a very young age, he was playing with the highest, you know, at the highest level. And and he's uh, when I say that, I mean like Team USA type stuff. And, and like he's always been on the radar, so he can hit. And and I guess my getting back to the point, it's like there there's no reason not to create this elite middle uh, infield defense. And uh, I mean we've we've run really long here, but I I kind of want to touch on this still. Uh, I'm curious what you think. And, and I think I've read uh, some stuff on what you've written and I think I know how you feel, but what if Nick Madrigal continues to hit like this, but even better, right? He starts finding gaps because this is the player that he's always been, right? What he's showing us lately, it, he puts the, the, you know, the bat on the ball, he'll hit for average. I think he's, he's going to start finding some gaps and stuff like that. I think it was unfair, and I jumped on the wagon too because I was like, I don't even – it's not worth giving him a chance anymore. And then I looked back, and he made the point to me when I was talking to him in St. Louis before the trade deadline, like it's 30-something games that he's played, and I came off a major injury. He didn't make the he – didn't, he didn't actually say that. I'm adding that. Uh, but he was pointing out it's like it was a bad month. Everybody has a bad month. And I was like, yeah, you've hit – your entire career, every level, high school, college, minors, even in the majors with the White Sox. I mean, maybe we, maybe we all jumped off the bandwagon too quickly. Maybe we were too unfair to him. He was a mess, clearly, but uh, it, it just doesn't seem like it was fair to just completely dismiss him as a piece. And if that's the case, if we're wrong, right? If he has a really good month and a half here, hits three fifty what is it just like okay even more options or what, what's your thought here as far as how the cubs attack the offseason and uh getting a short stop all these things that we're talking about that you and i feel strongly about and other fans are like no we love nico yeah i could see where you were going with a lot of that and i i wanted to get into some madrigal stuff uh also because of the conversation we were having about the short stops it, because it's all intertwined and maybe I'll start there in the response that I don't think there is anything that can happen between now and the end of the season, realistically, that would leave me in October and November saying, you know what, 
never mind. Don't go after one of the top shortstops because you have to leave Madrigal locked down at second base. And, you know, Nico isn't going to, you're not going to displace him that much by bringing in someone else. Like, I, I just don't, that doesn't feel realistic to me. And I'm not sure it would have been realistic even if Madrigal had been healthy all year and performing. I don't know. And that's kind of the way I would respond to the overall question, which is that he's Nick Madrigal has hit at every level. Yes. He's done it in a very unique way. Yes. A way that unless you are an 80 grade extreme version of this contact player cannot succeed in, in the modern big leagues, but maybe he is, maybe he is just such a line drive, constantly spraying hitter that, you know, even without the power, defenses just can't cheat on him uh pitchers cannot strike him out uh he takes enough walk has enough discipline to take enough walks that you know he'll always have a 330 BAPIP that will translate to a 310 average and you know he's getting on base at a 360 370 clip and it's like okay I mean that's a valuable player I think for me the questions and why I I don't think I ever jumped on his struggles this year it was more of just okay well these are the concerns you know the concerns are he has to do all that stuff I just said to be useful at all and because he was coming off a major injury and because he'd had relatively little big league experience I was questioning have we really seen him be the guy he is yet or have we just seen a, a very fortunate version so far because don't forget, and I'm not comparing the players, but like early Albert Almora had a lot of success too, you know, in little stub parts of his big league career. And we, we could look at it and be like, you know, I'm not actually sure this is going to play over time. Um, and I just have always had some of those same kinds of concerns about Madrigal's style. Um, that said, I was very optimistic about the acquisition because I like the idea of having this absurd contact guy in the lineup um he was striking out a lot earlier this year that was a concern too like he was striking out a lot more than he ever had so anyway that's a roundabout way of saying uh i cannot realistically foresee a a version of events over the last month and a half where i say never mind don't don't leave yourself flexible in the infield just say that this is your position this is yours yada yada Um, I do think, though, he could perform well enough that matches his earlier career performance that leaves you feeling like, okay, you know, he's 25. This probably is who he is. And this is a guy who has a lot of value in your lineup, 500 plate appearances a year. We got to figure out how to do that while coordinating it with Horner and not sitting out the best bats in the offseason. Um it does feel like the the best version of these events is the classic, I don't know, get the good players and figure it out later. And that, that might be where I land um, because the Cubs are going to have money to spend. They're going to need to add offense. And the infield is where it's likely to make the most sense. Um, so you're, you're right. You're, the, the question is more right than the answer right now. It's just let's yeah. see what happens the next month and a half because he has started hitting a bit. He has looked better, um, but I I just don't want the Cubs to put themselves in a situation where 
they're like, well, we've got two who have set, good we've enough set ourselves in stone. Yeah, yeah. let's set this in stone. I agree. Don't set it in stone. I think it's a good, it's one of those good problems, right? Good problem to have if he performs. Because, I mean, he just looks more comfortable at the plate. It looks, I, I know some of it, and some of them are even some of those grounders that just get through. But they're hit harder than, I mean, pre this most recent IL stint, like some of these hits were dribblers in the infield that's like he's not even making real contact like what is going on and and that really got me concerned where i was like is this guy just like in a mental spiral now too like because this is not the player he was like he's not even looking like the like he's he's completely thrown everything off and nothing looks right so i started to get concerned that maybe he just maybe this isn't gonna work and and it was unfair. It was I I think when it looks that bad, it's easier to get get down on someone quickly. That quickly, well, wait, right? You, you weren't being unfair. You were just concerned at the extreme level of the poor contact. Call. Yeah, like and it was. It was very extreme. It was yes, and I mean I think I wrote about this, but some of the numbers were just jarring at how bad the contact quality was, and it was all on the ground and. Yeah, he's going to probably be higher than normal for ground ball rate, but the quality of contact should be much better, and there will be some line drives. I believe, I I think it, what I needed to see was a little more confidence at the plate and just a little more semblance of this guy knows how to hit, right? He just knows how to hit, and he'll figure it out. I feel like I'm starting to see that, and that gives me a little more you know, a little more confidence that, okay, maybe a, a corner can be turned here. Build that confidence. Remind us who you were, why you were drafted, where you were. Right? It's not. It's not lol. White Sox drafting this guy top ten. Uh, there's there's a real player here. And and to the people that say that, I've talked to people who work for pretty great organizations that loved Nick Madrigal at that spot in that same area. I mean, really smart organizations that do that that do everything well were fans of Nick Madrigal. Some of them have jumped off. Some of them are not fans right now. Uh, but, it, I mean, I guess that's, that's what happens when you see what we saw early this season. I, I just, I'm curious to, like, I think it's a great problem to have if he turns a corner, if Fran Miel Reyes is performing and wisdom is what he's he's been, right? Suddenly you have this infield where it's like, okay, what, what do you want to do with it? Infield slash DH of what, what do you want to do with these guys? How do you how do you figure this out? And if they all perform well enough over the next month and a half, I think it, at least one of them won't be with the team next year is my feeling. Uh, and I'd be shocked if they move Nico. I, I don't know how much we've said it on the podcast, but this is the type of guy that you don't build your team around him in the sense that he's the centerpiece of the offense or something, but you build your team around him in the sense that this is the guy that's going to lead you guys onto the field every day. And he's the guy that everyone emulates because he, he shows up so damn early for, to work out. He, he puts in the type of work that, that, you know, actionable work, not just like going through the motions, but this is how you better yourself on a daily basis. And he just, I mean, he, I know this is so cliche, but he really gets it. He just does. This is a true baseball player that 
fans should just like be thrilled. You you want to be excited. You you thought you loved Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo because they were like Anthony Rizzo was the face of the organization. Nico Horner is the type of guy that you should, fans should just love. Uh, if they don't love him, I'm not sure what what they're watching. But that's the type of guy that when this team starts winning again, it's going like this is the type of guy that like. He deserves to win. He puts in all the work that leads to winning. He understands all the little things. He understands like why it's important to win right now in a season that's lost. And I think that that's really valuable. <clears throat> and he he's so young, but seems to really get all those things that take many many years for certain ball players to get. Uh, so <laughs> so I think you keep him. But what what happens with the other guys? I think it'll be interesting. And and I think. There's a way that you can leverage success over the final month and a half into really creating a, a you know, not like this dominant force in 2023, but this team that's primed to kind of take a leap in 2023. And because the Cubs did not play service time games with Nico Horner, he is arbitration eligible after the season and controlled for only those three arbitration years uh, after this year. So all the more reason, just saying, to, well, lock him up that would be nice but i was told they the played a, they played games last year yeah i re- yeah i remember what i was told i remember those conversations <laughs> and i remember saying that is not how what's happening here i remember with great frustration saying that and uh it turns out lo and behold he's he's done pretty well for himself in terms of service time so uh and i say god bless go get paid be nice if the be nice if the cubs could and Maybe, uh, one other thing, I think he's also – my big concern was having two guys similar like Nico and Madrigal in the lineup. I think Nico separated himself enough with the power that he has. He's not going to hit 20, 25 homers, but – I think he could get to double digits and maybe even a little bit more, uh, you know, into the 10, 15 range. If, if he has a really good season, I, you know, that's probably a, one of his better power output seasons, but he has more power than I, uh, than I think uh, he was indicated with previous seasons where he didn't hit mm-hmm. a homer since like 2019. Right. Prior to this yeah, year, his, uh, his launch angle has improved dramatically. Hits, uh, and he hits the was... ball hard. He's always done that. Yeah, he's always hit the ball hard, but I think in that that 2019 season, after he he made that brief debut and flashed some great stuff, and then we got that first longer look. I'm pretty sure his ground ball rate went crazy, and it was like, uh-oh, that's not good. Uh, but yeah, he has clearly turned that around, and even when the homers aren't there, he's got tons of gap power, and uh, yeah, I, they you you wouldn't put them in the same category uh, yeah. of hitter at this point. All right, man. See, Mooney's gone, and then we just go wild. <laughs> we just ramble. Uh, we just, yeah, this is what we do. It's uh, on to Waveland. It's the Cubs podcast here at The Athletic. I'm Brett Taylor. You can read my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Sahadev Sharma. Get his at The Athletic. And the Cubs are in Washington this week and then Baltimore. It's, it's, it's basically all Washington, right? I mean, they're, it's all, they're all the same area. Come on, I watched The Wire. Uh, so the Cubs, uh, it, the, the Orioles are like four games over 500, by the way. So I think they're Fun clinging story. to that yeah. last wildcard spot in the, in the East. Uh, and we'll be talking to you on Thursday. So you all take care. Have a good week and, uh, see you soon.